Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Contract negotiations are ongoing between the City of Hamilton and local transit union. They're not going well. There could be a strike vote. I'll explain that to you. Another rally being held at the Hamilton Wentworth Detention Center this weekend to protest the deaths that continue to happen in our jails. And who should be named the CFL's most outstanding player this season? I know who I'd like to see. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Right now, contract negotiations going on between the City of Hamilton and local transit union. Uh, a lot of frustrated people uh, with the transit union right now. They've been well, without a contract for quite some time. Uh, your union is actually urging bus drivers to reject a city contract. And I want to bring Ian Tuck into the conversation. Uh, Eric Tuck, I'm sorry. Uh, Eric is the, uh, the president of the ATO uh, Local 107, uh, who's been in charge for the last number of years and the last few contract negotiations as well. Eric, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Good morning, Bill. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Why has this not been on the radar? Transit is so important uh, to this city. Uh, just ask any city councilor. They're sure talking to talk about this. You guys haven't had a contract for months now. Yes, it's uh, it's going on a year now. It'll be a year in December. Uh, Bill, we've tried to be responsible in this round of negotiations. Uh, normally, as you know, we run a campaign going up into negotiations. We're very public and very vocal. Um Ridership has been on the rise, and transit has been a major economic driver in this city. Uh, we didn't want to do anything that was going to disrupt that or drive passengers away to think that there might be a strike. Anytime you start talking about strike or job action, uh, it does have an effect on your ridership. That's not something we wanted to instigate. Uh, we got some major stumbling blocks we've been trying to overcome. Uh, we've been working for the last 10 months trying to get there. Uh, come up with creative solutions, and every uh, every road we've turned down, we've hit a roadblock. So unfortunately, we are at this point uh, where we have to push that trigger to say, look, we need to get this done. You know, anytime you've had to negotiate a contract in the past, and you and I have talked at length about some of these things, uh, there's no rhetoric. I mean, I'm looking at what's going on right now with the teachers' negotiations on a provincial basis, and, and you're getting some rhetoric from the, the ministry, you're getting rhetoric back from the unions themselves and back and forth, and you, you wonder if these guys are ever going to settle. Uh, you guys have always done this in a very professional manner. You, you, you don't get militant about it. You don't start throwing insults back and forth. Uh, and, and you've come up with some offers, and you've been very flexible, I think, in, in the past about some of these contracts. What, what's holding this one up? So, yes, we, we've always been flexible. As I said, we always try to find creative solutions to real problems. Uh, and, and this particular contract, it's, uh, it's a problem that's been outstanding for over 120 uh, years with transit operators. As you know, back in 2007, we were on your show many times talking about the issue of bathroom breaks. Yep. This is a major issue. It's, it's got serious health effects for our operators. Uh, and it's a problem that has to be solved this round of negotiations. Um, we got in this set of negotiations the perfect trifecta, so to speak. Uh, there's three major stumbling blocks. Uh, one is wages. Uh, the other is uh, cuts and concessions to benefits, uh, and then the working conditions. And you know, so we got three three problems that we're trying to resolve and trying to work with them on. Uh, but we just haven't been able to get there for some reason. Well, there's a couple of things to, to talk about here and, and to fill in some of the blanks on here, too. And you talk about working conditions, and, and, and the, the, you're right, the washroom facilities is a key part of this. And anybody that's written on public transit over the last number of years knows that you know, oftentimes the drivers have to stop at a Tim Hortons or something and, and run in there. But, you know, if there's five people in line, well, you know, you're sitting on the bus waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, exactly. but, but, you know, that's one issue. The other issue that you've talked about, which I'm sure is going to come up the contract table, 
under the guise of, of working conditions, uh, is is violence in the buses themselves. I mean, you've had drivers that have been assaulted. You've had things going on in the buses. Uh, it's it's an, a growing concern, I know, among your drivers. Yes, and that's one of the issues we're trying to resolve by trying to get time at the end of the line, what we call a decompression break or a washroom break, uh, so that we're not stopping mid-route and we don't end up being seven, eight minutes late. This often infuses uh, anger from our passengers. You know, they want to get to work on time. They want to make their connections. They don't want to be sitting in a bus for seven minutes, ten minutes, while somebody goes in to use the bathroom. Uh, and, and the driver, quite frankly, it's kind of humiliating to come out and have the passengers angry at you or yelling at you because you've gone in to use the bathroom. I can imagine that. Uh, but it's, I, I mean, I don't mean to be flippant about it, but when you have to go, you have to go. And, and uh, you know, and th- therein lies the problem. Now, I know that the city has tried uh, to address this. I guess there are some end-of-line places where there, there is some facilities for you, but clearly not enough. Correct. Uh, we're asking for proper facilities at the end of each line so that we're not dependent on uh, private uh, bathrooms at private facilities. Uh, these are specifically for the use of our operators so that we're able, no other employee in this country has to negotiate uh, access to a bathroom let alone time to get out of their seat, whether it's at a desk or whether it's at a, uh, on an assembly line, time to actually go and use a bathroom. Uh, most, most workers in this country have breaks. They have two 15-minute uh, coffee breaks. They have a, a, a half hour for lunch. Uh, and most employers don't bother them if they get out of the seat and go to the bathroom. Uh, drivers, uh, as transit operators, every minute of our day is scheduled. And unfortunately, they're not building into those schedules appropriate time for the human necessities. We are human beings driving these buses, and they have to allot the time for that. Eric, walk us through, for the sake of our listeners who maybe are not fully aware of, of the, the work and the responsibilities of, of, well, we'll talk about the drivers first of all. Uh, I mean, oh, you just drive around all day. You, you guys are on such a tight schedule right now that even a two- or three-minute lag in that throws everybody off, and that gets passengers angry, and, and just, it messes up the whole system. Uh, there, there's pressure on these drivers. Absolutely. When you have uh, specific connection uh, points where you have to meet those connection points, and if you miss that connection point, it may be another 20 minutes for that next bus to come, uh, which in, in fact puts people who rely on that schedule, and the reliability for most uh, transit users is one of the most important issues. Uh, they want to know that they're going to get to work, and they'll actually go online and, and look at the schedules, and they will schedule their day to get it to work uh, specifically on time, and they're not building in an extra 20 minutes or a half hour to their schedule. So when they are late for work, and that happens more than uh, once or twice, they get very angry about it. And you can't necessarily blame them because they are dependent on that transit system. What kind of response are you getting from the city so far? Well, so far, to be honest with you, we have, I think, come to some uh, agreement on the access to the washrooms. It's the actual scheduling of time. Um, and this can be done with uh, in two ways. You know, some people will say, well, that's an added cost. Well, it is an added cost if you have to add a bus. But in many of these instances, uh, it's simply a matter of changing the schedules and printing realistic schedules so that when somebody looks and expects that bus to be there at a certain time, it is actually arriving there at, on that time. Uh, and by doing that, uh, the frequency may be a couple of minutes less. Uh, so instead of every six minutes, maybe it's seven or eight minutes, or maybe it's fifth, instead of 15 minutes, it's 17 minutes. Uh, but that allows the time at the end of the line for that driver 
to A, decompress, because as you know, transit operations, it's a very stressful job. Uh, and part of the uh, problem we're having uh, with attendance and everything else is stress-related uh, illnesses. Uh, you know, people get yelled at and, and humiliated in front of their passengers, uh, and they go off for stress leave for a couple of days uh, because they really, it really does have an impact on their mental health. Those types of issues have been going on and have becoming more frequent. Uh, and when we talk about the use of bathroom and people holding their bladders uh, or bowel movements, there is serious health implications from that. I know as a 32-year operator, um, I have serious issues with kidney stones. I get one every year in either the left or right kidney. Um, I, I have a stretched bladder. I have a weak bladder. Uh, these are all indicative of prolonged sitting. Uh, I've had a heart attack, which is a... We've, we've looked at and provided the employer with many, many health studies that show prolonged sitting without getting out of that seat or getting up and standing up every, you know, for five minutes every hour or so, uh, do have profound effects on your health. And this employer has stood up publicly many times and talked about the problem with attendance. But yet we're giving them solutions and telling them how to address it, and they're not taking them seriously. Well, listen, I've, I've actually, yeah, we've done some research about what you've just mentioned, and I, I know some people might dismiss that and say, come on, really? But we do know from a medical standpoint, if you sit around all day and do nothing, that it has a problem. It, it does have a negative health effect on you. There's circulation problems, there's heart problems, a whole number of things. I mean, we, we have a five-minute newscast every hour here. I get up and walk around the building uh, just because I've been sitting here for an hour. But, I was, but to that point, though, Eric, how, how do the drivers handle that? So, so we don't have that luxury of getting up uh, and just uh, walking around for a couple of minutes uh, unless we have time built into the schedule, and that's what we're asking for. Uh, and I don't think that's unreasonable to be asking for it, especially when it has such serious health effects. Well, it is a health uh, and safety issue. Yeah. And then you go to the benefits, and uh, quite frankly, they want uh, some cu cuts and concessions in the benefits. Uh, and some of the benefits that they're cutting are actually – uh, directly related to the health issues that arise from not having uh, the ability to get up and out of the seat. Uh, a good example of that, uh, doctors recommend anybody who goes on long trips on a plane have compression stockings to prevent uh, clotting and that kind of stuff. That's one of the benefits that they're looking to cut. Uh, as operators who sometimes sit for many hours at a time, I can't, uh, in good conscience, agree to those kinds of concessions. <sighs> You, you, we were talking. I, I, the preamble here. I, I mentioned the word strike, and I know that's not a word you like to throw around. Uh, but I, I'm sensing the same frustration that I'm hearing from some other people I've talked to that are, are actually some of your drivers. Uh, where are you on this? I mean, you know, we, we've looked at the teacher situation here again to use that analogy. Uh, they're at the no board report, which means they they can essentially go on strike as soon as that period of time is ended. Are you are you considering that kind of a move here, Eric? Right. So at this point, we're not there yet. Uh, neither side has, or neither party has applied for a no board report. Uh, the employer has tabled a final offer. And with that in mind, we have no choice but to go to the membership uh, and ask for that mandate. Once we have it, that will give us authorization to either file for a no board report uh, and either go on strike or take some kind of job action. Uh, and you, as I understand it, you're recommending that they do turn this offer down. Correct. Uh, because it is a final offer, we have no choice but to recommend it be turned down, given the uh, concessions they're asking for, the failure to address the working conditions, and the failure to meet the uh, wage uh, demands that 
every other transit property in the GTHA has been uh, achieving. Uh, I can tell you right now, Brampton, Mississauga, Toronto, Go, uh, are all in the 2% or better uh, range. And currently, uh, we are at uh, 1.6 is the offer from the employer. So to have all three of those and no movement on either one uh, is very uh, difficult, obviously, for us to be get on board and, and uh, recommend it to our members. Eric, this sounds very much like, I, I don't want to say a strike is inevitable, but it, I'm not even going to say it's probable, but it is possible at this stage. It absolutely is possible. And, uh, you know, after the uh, meeting we have with our members to bring them up to speed on this, there will be a vote to authorize us to take that action if necessary. Uh, obviously, it's not somewhere we want to go. Uh, I don't think any labor leader wants to go into a strike, um, but it's one of the few bargaining powers that we have, uh, along with other job actions or creative job actions. I mentioned at the beginning here that uh, that you guys have, have usually been pretty good when it comes to contract negotiations and some flexibility, and you've, you've been able to strike a deal. Uh, I was just trying to think in my in my memory here, what, when was the last, we had a strike here in the late 1990s, was that the last one? The last strike we had was 1998. Yeah, uh, we yeah. actually took our membership out for 10 weeks over Christmas. Yeah, it was ugly. It was a very, it was a very difficult time and a very tough strike. Uh, I, I was working here during that strike, and I was out walking the picket line. It's not something I ever want to have to go through again. But, you know, at times you have to say enough is enough. And uh, this either has, you know, there has to be some movement on the other side. Otherwise, we've got no choice but to, to do what we have to do. Yeah, well, and, and again, we're getting into terminology. I mean, when the city says final offer, I mean, if there's going to be a strike, uh, well, who knows, if, if they can massage that offer or do something else to it. Uh, are you talking right now? Or I guess you're going to you're going to have to vote on this first of all. That's that's I guess step one. Correct. We're going to have the vote, uh, and then we, as a as a negotiating committee, will decide next steps. Uh, we're prepared to talk. Always have been. Uh, we've never walked away from the table. Uh, we're very open to continuing discussions. As I said, we've been the type of uh, union that's always tried to come up with creative solutions, and we've done no different this time. We'll continue to try and work on that. We know how much of an impact a transit strike will have on this city, uh, and it's certainly not something Hamilton can afford at this time. Well, and also history shows us that if there is a work stoppage of any way, shape, or form, that tends to reduce ridership, and, and that's a double whammy, obviously, because that that, that has an impact on the money that the, the city is going to get from senior levels of government, and obviously it's going to make for a less efficient system. So uh, here's hoping that you, you can find some sort of a resolution to this. It's It's looking pretty grim right now, but... Uh, we'll see how the city is going to respond to this after this. Eric, let's stay in touch over the next couple of weeks. I really appreciate the time today. I appreciate you having us on, Bill. Thank you very much. Take care. Eric Tech, of course, president of the Amalgamated Transit Union, Local 107. Uh, and, and again, uh, to try to get this thing resolved ASAP. I, I remember being around in 1998, and uh, I was on city council. It was my first term on Hamilton City Council. And, uh, and it was messy, as Eric mentioned. It was just before Christmas time. I rate list, uh, you know, riders. Well, they weren't riders because they couldn't get on the bus. It was a strike. Uh, you know, the meetings at City Hall, and it finally got resolved. But it was a, it was a very very acrimonious time uh, for everybody involved, and it took a long long time for the city to get over that. So here's hoping that we don't get to that point again. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There's a rally going to be held at the Hamilton Webber Detention Center uh, this coming weekend uh, to uh, protest the deaths that are continuing to happen in our jails. And it's not just a Hamilton issue. This is an Ontario issue. Uh, time and time again, 
I was reading an, uh, an article today from the Windsor Star and uh, about another family who's going through similar situations, the Case family down there, uh, whose 22-year-old son died of a drug overdose while in his cell at the Niagara Detention Center in Thorold. Uh, there are too many stories like this. One is one too many. Uh, one of the people involved in this, one of the people that uh, is going to be there is Amy McKechnie. She is the sister who uh, Ryan McKechnie, who died of an overdose in 2017 in jail. Thank you for coming in here today, Amy. Great Thanks to have you here. Uh, as I say, one is one too many, but it's it's scary the the frequency with this is happening. I mean, we've had inquests here in Hamilton about this. Uh, they've come out with recommendations, yet it continues. It's it's exactly. got to be frustrating. It's scary. Yes, it is, and it's not stopping. I mean, they just reported that Lindsay had eight overdoses in a two year span, two years, and eight people. Which raises a number of questions, and and some of them are pretty elementary, and you'd think that they'd be addressed. And and the one that I have time and time again when we talk about this, and we have talked about this many times on the show, is what are the drugs doing in there in the first place? Exactly. And it's not just the inmates bringing it in. Yeah. So what are they going to do to stop it? Why is it just the inmates that are being scanned and having searches done? Why isn't everybody that goes in there being searched? Well, when I've talked to people that have been involved in the, the last major request we had here, and I was given a number of different answers on that. Well, it could be visitors. Uh, it could sometimes even be the lawyer who's yes. representing them. Yep. I said, well, if you know that, why don't you do something about it? They, yeah, and they stated it at the last inquest. It yeah. could be delivery people. It could be any number of people going in there. But all they search is the inmates. Well, that, why is that? I, I, well, it's a good question. Uh, but it, it, you, you got to nip this at the source. In, in other words, you know, things are tough enough. Uh, in situations like that, but if they have free access, and it almost is free access, it is. There. They they have better access inside jail to get drugs than they do on the street. Well, because the supply there's a supply chain there. Yep, exactly. And they think, oh well, it's just an inmate. You know, they did the time, do the crime. Well, that doesn't mean that they should be coming out in a body bag. Well, there's an element to that too, because I've heard that from some people who really don't seem to understand, or maybe they just don't care about humanity. Yep, I exactly. guess exactly. But s- many of these fatalities. Are, are people that, yes, they have been arrested, but they have not been convicted. 70%. They're awaiting, they're awaiting trial. Yes, 70% in Ontario's provincial jail systems are legally innocent. They haven't made it to trial or even a bail hearing. Uh, the, the one I just mentioned, the Case family, uh, where he died in Thorold in the detention center there, uh, they'd already worked out a deal. I mean, he was he was yeah, going to go. was getting out. By yep. the time he got to the point where he was going to appear before a magistrate, they were going to say, time served, okay, you're gone. Yes. I mean, but and he, her son was died. supposed to be in segregation. Yeah. So if he was supposed to be in segregation by himself, how did he have access to it? Well, Amy, this is what we heard during the inquest here in Hamilton a while exactly. ago. Uh, you know, who's monitoring this? And I know there are problems. We've yep. talked to some of the guards in their union there, and I, I get that, that there's concerns and, you know, there's staffing issues and things of this nature. Yeah. But we're talking about people dying in these facilities now. Yeah. And they don't care because they just think of them as an inmate. They're just a criminal from the street or they're just a junkie. So why should people care? Well, because those people have family, and they're not all guilty, for one. I mean, my brother didn't deserve to come out in a body bag. Angela's son didn't deserve to come out in a body bag. And nobody else's, you know, brother, sister, husband, whatever, none of them deserve to come out in a body bag. Not not that it matters, but, I mean, we're talking about people, I know in in the case of the Case family, uh, a petty crime. It was an alleged theft, uh, minor theft. Yep. Uh, not automobile theft or anything, minor theft, and yep. he was arrested because he had, I guess, a record as a juvenile, whatever the case might be. That's the history. Yep. But the fact is, there he is in the detention center awaiting trial. Exactly. Uh, and they'd already said, okay, fine, you know, you've been in here, wait. And that's another thing. They wait way too long before yes. they finally get their trial. Yep. Uh, but they don't wait at home. No, they don't. And it's funny because a lot of these people that are in there, the inmates, they have addictions problems 
or they're reoffending. Well, if they're reoffending, what are you doing to rehabilitate them so that they're not reoffending? Well, that's not part of the program, is it? No, there is no programming. There's, really. there's your cell. That's where you're going to hang out Pretty for the much. next God knows how long. You're not even a name. You're a number. Yeah. And yet you sit there until they say that you can go home. And then they just put them back on the street, basically, with no reintegration training, no community supports. There's nothing. So how do you expect them to become a lawful citizen? Well, and, and it, that being the case, if you take somebody out of a bad environment because they've committed a minor crime, yep. uh, do your time, you go back in, they stick you right back into that bad environment. What are the chances yep. of reoffending? Exactly. It's very Because that's all you know. Yep, and you're still addicted, by the way. Yep. Yeah. So you've got your addictions issues, and now you've got a criminal history, and you have nowhere else to turn. You don't know what to do. You're not educated. I have heard, and, and again, I don't want to get into names because we've done a number of shows with different family members who are grieving still, but being proactive like you are about this. The grieving process never ends. That the, some, some of these deaths are people that actually were not addicts before they went in jail, but yes. there's such access. You, there's this pressure on the inmates yes. to, to be part of this. Yes. The, and they're supposed to be safe in there. So why are they not safe? Why are you not doing checks? You know, my in my brother's case... They knew there was drugs in my brother's cell the night before that he passed. So why were you not checking on him through the night? Why was only one person removed from the cell? You know, I don't understand it. How many people were in there? To my knowledge, three. Okay. Which, by the way, is another issue of overcrowding. Yes. Uh, yep. th- th- you've got some places where there's a, a cell for one person and there's sometimes three, four people three, in four, there. Yeah, and they're sleeping on the floor with their head at the toilet. Yeah. But that's okay, they say. That's, that's humane. <laughs> I mean, we don't treat animals like this. You can't put people in cages like that and treat them like that and then expect them to come out and be a productive citizen. Well, there's anger, there's frustration. Uh, some of them obviously have mental health problems and issues, yep. uh, uh, depression. I mean, there's a there's a whole long shopping list here of things that they're dealing with. Yes, and, and it only gets worse inside. Yeah, because there's there's no assistance. I mean, this is not yep. like a rehab program where they say, okay, we're going to help you here. Exactly. But it's just, no, we'll feed you here until you go to trial. Yep. That's really what it comes down to. Yep, exactly. How do you deal with this? It's hard. It's very, it's mentally draining, especially when you, you continue to hear more and more deaths. I mean, and we've gone to the, the Solicitor General. She made promises that weren't kept. We, a few of us, including Angela Case, had sent letters to Justin Trudeau. And we both got back generated, like computer generated responses saying that, you know, he'll pass it along to Sylvia Jones, who is the Solicitor General for Corrections. Well, she did nothing for us. So why can't you help? You're the Prime Minister. How can you? How do you cut through the red tape? You can't. It, it, you just keep fighting, I guess, because we haven't been able to get through it yet. Problem is, I mean, they always say, "Yeah, write your your member, your member of parliament, your your prime minister, your yep. premier, your oh, a, we've a gone to everybody, solicitor general." Yep. Uh, but but look, I, I get the feeling from talking to a lot of the families that, that are in the same circumstance as you is you get this feeling. Look at these things just end up in the blue box. They do. There's a form letter that they use in a response to yep. it. And uh, God knows how many of them they sign every day, but that's it. And, yeah, but, and they just toss us aside, basically. You know, just say what we want to hear, and hopefully we'll shut up and go away. But you're not going to. No, we're not going to. I mean, as mentally draining as it is, it needs to stop. These people need help. You're putting them back out on the street, so do you not want to make them if better? They, if they make it there. If they make it, exactly. And we live in Canada where we don't have a death penalty. And, and like you said, a lot of these people are legally innocent, and they're coming out dead. And Where this does is it uh, b- this is by the way we want to mention this is jail this is not prison and there is a distinction exactly. to be made here exactly but our our federal prison system's not much better oh either. I know I know 
But this is this is short-term stuff. These are usually for petty crimes, minor crimes, or yep. people that are reoffending. Uh, most of them are remand centers. Like Hamilton is a remand center. Yeah, and they're they're completely, you know, um, overbed. They're overcrowded. They have no room for people. They've they're housing seventy some odd women in a fifty bed unit. So now they've got women mixed with men on men's ranges. But that's okay. It's 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 like. They have not been convicted. They have not been, but they've been sentenced already. Yes, and uh, and in the public side too, they've been sentenced. Well, you you did something wrong. You're in jail, so you deserve what you get, and your families too. I mean, the disgrace that we've had to go through, and the disrespect with people. You know, the crosses that we put up, and the stuff that they put on Kijiji about us. Oh, I've seen, I've seen. It's the just stuff. disgusting. It's, it like, is. It's revolting. You know, they, oh, well, yeah. they're, they're criminals anyway. Who cares? Exactly. Nobody has empathy or compassion anymore, and it's sad. We live in a very sad world. But the, the 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 inhumane attitude here is is what I, I think I, I tend to focus on, and I keep coming back to. Uh, you know, years ago, generations ago, I mean, mentally ill people, we just used to lock them up someplace yep, and, and exactly. they lived out the rest of yeah, their lives. Yeah, in the insane asylum. Yeah. But this is not, what's the difference between this and, and what your your brother went through? Exactly. Why didn't he deserve your help? You know. Because these are these are health issues. These are mental health issues. Yes. You know, you look at the crime, uh, but and what the legal system tells us to do. Yeah. And I know we're getting into this thing about you know tough on crime and everything, but, but clearly that's not working. No, clearly it's not. But the reality here is that there's all has, there has to be a story behind this. I mean, if somebody shoplifts something or somebody steals something, uh, what for? Is it to feed a drug habit? Well, yeah. are you going to do anything about the drug habit or just keep putting them in jail because they have to feed their drug habit? Exactly. And even with the the drug addicts, I mean, you need to treat the underlying issue first. How can you treat the big problem if you don't treat the, the small stuff first? Yeah. You know, where it starts. And they're not doing that. Is, is there any help at all, any supervision, anybody that drops in once a month, anything like that for the, for the inmates? No, there's nothing in there, really. They I mean, just, they, they just they, sit they have, in the cell. They have some free... Pretty some much. Yeah, Barton has no gym anymore, apparently. It's like pulling teeth trying to get books in there. Like, to get a book to read. It, it makes no sense to me. They should all be in, in school programs during the day and... They should be doing something constructive with their time to pay their debt back to society. But they but just sit. They just sit. They have nothing but time on their hands to to think and you know go crazy, do whatever they do in there. To, here's the thing. I mean, I've talked to a number of parents, and I'm glad you had a chance to come in here today, Amy, and tell the story. Uh, and sadly. <laughs> Uh, your numbers are growing. I mean, Huge. you guys are being proactive on this. I mean, yep. this used to be a small group, and 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 you know, well, they'll, they'll go away. There's only a few of them. Yeah, uh, it's happening. It's growing exactly. because there's more deaths every year, yeah. every week. Yep. Uh, some of them don't even get reported. Exactly. We're finding that it looks like Hamilton's not putting much out anymore. We're not seeing much on the Twitter page anymore. So how do you address this? I mean, obviously, we'll talk about what's going to happen on the weekend in just a second here. But uh, on, a, on an ongoing basis, uh, do you continue to talk to the Solicitor General's office? Do you, who else? Who's, whose door can you bang on at this stage? I, I mean, we've banged on as many doors as we could. We've gone to the Solicitor General. We, we've gone to Justin Trudeau. I, I don't know who else to go to, but we just keep on, you know, picking at it and sending letters and sending letters and hoping that they'll do something. Is there anybody giving a, a, any sympathy to this? Anybody who's understanding your issue and trying to work with we you? We do have a few good supports from some of our local MPs. Monique's a good support for us here in Hamilton. Um, I know the Case family has some good supports in Niagara with their MPPs. But other than that, I mean, there's not a lot of sympathy or help. 
Well, that's the game of politics, isn't it? I mean, it is. you've got to get somebody who's on the government side who's going to go to bat for you in situations yes. like this. Uh, but that's only half the story. I mean, there has to be somebody on the government side who swings some weight in, within the, the party or within that government. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that, those are few and far between to be able to do that. And then, uh, the, like you say, this is like trying to push a rock uphill, trying to get somebody to do anything about yeah. it. Yeah, it is. And I mean, don't you want these people to come out better? Or do you want them just to come out and keep reoffending? Clearly, that the hard punishment, and you know, they did something wrong, so they're they're in there for punishment. That's not working. The the get tough on it is not working. So something else needs to be done. I mean, you need to start educating these people that are are in there, and you need to start treating them for their addictions and their mental health and whatever else they have. You need to start educating them. It, but it's the, just a vicious the, circle. The distinction here, though, Amy, is if. If your brother had knocked on the door of a hospital and said, I've got to get some help, there's a program in place. Now, he might have to wait for it, sadly, because yep. they're underfunded, too. Exactly. But uh, it's the same situation. Uh, and, and, but it, all they do here is just throw them in a cell and, and stay, stay yep. there. Yep. Uh, there are no miracles here. No, nobody's there's no gonna, miracles. Nobody's going to be healed. Nobody's going to get off this stuff. No, and, and I mean, we're not saying, you know, the drugs are going to be gone forever. That's never going to happen. I mean, we're realistic. We know that there's always going to be drugs around. There's always going to be stuff that shouldn't be around. But when you don't do anything at all to fix it, then what's the point of having these things? Do they address any of the concerns at all when you do talk to, to the people in charge? Not really. No. The access to, to, to drugs, to narcotics? Um, Sylvia Jones completely denied that it was anybody other than the inmates bringing it in, even though it was proven in one of the last inquests and it was proven in other instances. I mean, guards have been charged. Other people have been charged. So why are you turning a blind eye to it? It's not just the inmates. Well, what a naive approach, though. It's very naive. Why are you in that position if you don't know it? There's a, there's a, a supply chain that's in place here. That's yep. one of the things that we heard during the last inquest here in yep. Hamilton. Uh, it's not inmates that are just doing it. It's I mean, a supply there's chain. video of the guards stepping over fishing lines. There's video of inmates doing drugs right out in the common area where guards can see and nobody does anything. Because there's a lot of money involved in this. Exactly. Yeah, somebody's pockets are getting lined. But they but they won't monitor this. No. They have cameras, but they're not monitored in real time. They only check them if there's an incident. Well, I mean, one of the last ones we had here uh, was supposed to be somebody who was on a 24-hour watch, and clearly they weren't. Yes. Uh, they found them dead. Yep. Uh, when they finally get, got around to looking into the cell. Yeah, he was a friend of my brother's. A lot of these people were friends of my brother's. I mean, they just finished an eight-person inquest, and now they have another six-person inquest coming up, if they put them all on one. Yeah, and you and know what they're going to do? You've been down this road before. Yep. Uh, you'll hear more testify, testifying from people, and you'll hear from everybody who's involved or who was there in the in the building at the time. Uh, and this panel will come up with some in, the, more recommendations, maybe exactly. some of the same ones that you heard. You can probably recite them now. Yeah, I can. You've yeah. heard them often enough. Yep. But what happens after that? Nothing. Because they're not binding. No, they're, it's not mandated that they actually use the recommendations. They're only suggestions. So what's the point of all the, spending all this money on an inquest? Spending all this money on lawyers and, you know, the paperwork and the time and, and the place to do the inquest. What's the point? And, and I mean, the, we can't hold anybody accountable either. Why is there nobody accountable for my brother not being here? Well, somebody, you know, there is, there's culpability here. And, and it, it starts, obviously, with funding. It starts with that, you know, the, the monitoring. There's an awful lot going on here. Yep. But sadly, you know, when you've got a government in Queen's Park that just says, yeah, we're not going to spend that kind of money. Yeah. Not on that, anyway. Yeah, they're just inmates. They're just criminals. Who cares? Yeah.
What are you doing tomorrow? Um, tomorrow we are hosting a rally at Hamilton Mountain Detention Center at 1 p.m. Down on Barton Street, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's actually a province-wide uh, rally. So ours is tomorrow, and then London, uh, Thorold, and Windsor will host one on Sunday. London's is at 9 a.m., and then Thorold and Windsor will host theirs at 1, all on Sunday. What I know what your purpose is here, but you know you invite elected officials. I assume to these. Yeah, we do. A couple of them are going to make speeches, I'm sure. Yep. But it's you, again, it's got to be so frustrating in a situation like this. It is. It's just like I said, it's a revolving door. It's a vicious circle that we can't break. I got a note from somebody who's just listening to our conversation here. One of our listeners uh, said, uh, "Hi, Bill. My son is a drug addict and has been in jail several times. Your guest on today's show has done and said everything I have been screaming and yelling for years." My son's defense lawyer actually told me not to contact them again if I was going to command, where have you been to help my son? The judge actually told us that we were bad parents because of why my son was in jail. My son was even told that there are tons of drugs in jail from everybody. Uh, I, I won't mention the, the lady's name, but I, I appreciate the email and the, and the feedback that's going on. Uh, that's the story. That's, that's what you're that's, living with. That's what everybody will live with when, when they're dealing with us. And it's heartbreaking. My heart goes out to her. She's trying to help her son, and, and she's just getting doors slammed in her face. Well, show some support for this. Write letters. Make phone calls. Uh, be insistent. I know you guys are doing this, Amy, on a consistent yes. basis. But uh, if, if, if this is going to take a grand swell of support to get the message across and get somebody to respond to this. And I, I remember the, the story, of course, the Solicitor General here in Ontario at the time, so dismissive. Of, of some of the recommendations from that last report and that last uh, inquest into this. Yep. Uh, just out of hand dismissing it and saying that's not really the way it is. Yeah, exactly. I, I went, went, I asked at the time, I said, I wonder if she's even stepped foot inside one of these facilities. Uh, yeah, and that's what we said. And, and I mean, they had, um, they've had several people go through some of these, these jails, including the Human Rights Commission. And, you know, they're saying that they're deplorable. They're not humane. So... Why is nothing changing? Why are you keeping people like this? Uh, stay strong. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine the pain that you and, and the others are going through in situations like this. It's not something that goes away. And every time you hear of another one, and sadly you will, sooner yes. than later. Well, uh, but like we said, Windsor just had one. It just opened the wounds again. Yep. All right. Amy, thank you for this. And thank you for the great work you're doing, not just for your brother, but for everybody who's in there right now. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Tomorrow, down at uh, the detention center, if you'd like to show your support, please do. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, right now, uh, well, Rick Samperton and I were talking in the hall the other day about the, the CFL awards because uh, we all had the nominees. Of course, each team recommends for each award a player from the team that's going to get in there. And we were just kind of wondering, boy, wouldn't it be great after the season they had if the Tiger Cats got multiple nominees for the finals? And they did. <laughs> uh, Rick, of course, is CHML sports director and host of the fifth quarter, which is heard after every Tiger Cat game here. Uh, were you surprised by this? No, I wasn't really. I mean, uh, I think the uh, there's seven overall awards. The Thai Cats have nominees in five of those seven, and when you break it on down, I think they have the five, or at least five of the most impactful players on the Thai Cats team. Whether it's Brandon Banks, Simone Lawrence, or head coach Orlando Steinauer. Um, yeah, I think the voters got it right this year in terms of the finalists for each award. I, I'm not surprised by Speedy Banks. Uh, he's had an outstanding season. I, I figured he was going to get to the final. I got to tell you, the one that surprised me, really, was Simone Lawrence. Because uh, uh, there are not too many Simone Lawrence fan clubs in the other teams right, you know, yeah, around the is. league, okay? But he's he's just been outstanding this year. Now, was your thought on that, because I've heard this too, was your thought on that because of the suspension? 
uh, that well, he's also uh, he's also getting accused of being a dirty player, but right. which happens. I mean, let's face it. You know, when you get I, he led the league in tackles again yes. this year, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and he's a pretty aggressive football player, and yeah. and that rank goes well. You know, if he's on your team, you love him. If you don't, you think he's yeah. a pain in the you know what? Definitely. I mean, I think he's deserving of uh, a nomination for most outstanding defensive player. I, I do too. Sir, I, I'm just surprised that as many voters uh, and, yeah. voted for him as they did. Well, it, when you look at the other, you know, outstanding defensive players in the East Division, you know, no one really jumps off the page at you. And I think Simone does in terms of, yes, he led the league in tackles with 98. Yeah, he had a number of interceptions. He was, I think, defensively, not only for the Ticats, but for the whole East Division, the most disruptive defensive player. Without a doubt. I'd probably throw Dylan Wynn in that category, too, because yeah. he had a number of great games for the Ticats. But I think consistently... Uh, Simone was probably that guy, and it wasn't just him getting, you know, seven tackles here or 16 tackles when he broke the record against Winnipeg there. Um, he was every game disrupting things, and that, uh, as a defensive player, that's the kind of label that you want to have. Now, whether he's going to beat Willie Jefferson, who's the Western nominee, is another story because Willie had a phenomenal season too, 13 sacks. He had six forced fumbles. He was a disruptor as well. So that, to me, may be the closest race of any of these categories, and I think is maybe the most interesting because of the suspension factor added in there as well. A lot of the stuff that we noticed through the year, too, is, uh, as you say, Simone was one of the guys, he would rise up when the need was there. Yeah. Uh, he'd, he'd get that quarterback sack, or he'd get that, you know, that, that tackle Big at the line, of third and yeah. one, or something like that. He just he just seems to be there mm -hmm. at the right time in situations. A lot of that's, of course, is, is veteran savvy. But yeah. And he's also the heartbeat of the Ticats defense, and you can even say maybe even of the team. You know, he's the emotional leader. Uh, he's yeah, the rah-rah guy, but he backs it up with some fantastic play on the field. He's, so. he's, so, he's still shy and humble, though. He's still shy? Well, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it is. Anybody who's ever been to a public event where Simone Lawrence is there, you know Simone is there. Yeah. But he's a great guy, He's a, he's a great guy. He's a great community guy. He's it's always fabulous. going to functions. He's volunteering for things. He's you know signing autographs, taking pictures, visiting hospitals. Yeah, he's the kind of teammate you want on your team, and you hate to play against these kind of guys. I got I, I know we're getting off on a tangent, but just on that point, I, mean, I was talking to Matt Affinick at the last game, of course, the CEO for the Cats. And I said, you know, I said, you guys got to blow your own horn about this. I said, most of these guys go off to the hospitals or to schools, and you don't make a big deal about it. They just right. do it. Yeah. Uh, but they're everywhere. Tasker, when Luke was injured, he was off yep. all sorts of stuff. Simone, yeah. uh, that terrible tragedy at Churchill School, a couple of years, they showed they up there, out there. For, the, for the vigil. Uh, they just they just do it, and they don't bring a camera crew with them. Yeah, they just, and it's not hey look at us, look at yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, they're in hospitals, they're in schools, they're visiting kids. The less fortunate. Danny Mac used to do that too all the time. Yeah, and that's I think that's one of the key pieces I think that we love about the CFLs that the, these players aren't too high and mighty. They're in their communities helping out. Uh, people in need or people who need kind of a, an emotional boost and uh, they realize that they carry a certain banner or a certain brand in this in this town uh, and uh, they're more than willing to to represent that brand and, and make people feel good all right let's talk about the the, the, the speedy nominee uh, he's going up against Fajardo yes uh, who had a phenomenal year uh, he did he's he was started the season as a second string quarterback but who didn't <laughs> yes <laughs> well two plays later Fajardo was you know the, the starter after Simone hit uh, yeah. Zach Hilaris in, in game number one but yeah, Cody Fajardo's had a great year. You know, 4,300 passing yards, uh, 18 total touchdowns. Uh, their team obviously won the West Division uh, with, uh, you know, 13 wins. Um, he, he's injured right now, and it's lucky that they don't play a game this weekend, but uh, he looks like he's going to be ready for the West Final. And yeah, he's had a great season. When I compare him to Brandon 
Banks, though, I, I, you know, there's a bit of a disconnect because Brandon Banks has had a exceptional season in terms of breaking records, team records, uh, you know, whether it's receptions, you know, total touchdowns, receiving yards, uh, most targets. Uh, the guy is a an elite game breaker, and I think he embodies that most outstanding player kind of banner. Well, and he's a four-toe guy. I mean, he, he can run with the ball. He can catch the ball. Yeah. Uh, he obviously has a punt returner, a kickoff returner. Yep. But the other thing, and I think you mentioned this to me a couple of weeks ago, and it, I just uh, teams are afraid to kick field goals against the Cats because if he he's back there in the end zone, yep. he's the guy, and he's returned, what, two of them for touchdowns this year? He has a kickoff return and a missed field goal return for touchdowns. Okay, and, and you know, so he runs the whole field. It's about 125 <laughs> yards yeah. through all these guys. Uh, and he's a threat every time he gets the ball, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what makes the guy so special and he's he's electrifying when he when he's on the field for so many different reasons yeah. uh, is that enough to carry him over there and win the award well I think so and the, you know the point I make in my blog today at 900chml.com is you know if you were to start a, a football team and you had your choice of any quarterback in the CFL would you pick even this season would you pick Cody Fajardo my answer would be probably not he might be in the top five but he's probably not going to be your number one guy when you look at the crop of receivers that are available, and there's a lot of great receivers in the CFL, if you were had that first overall receiver pick, would it not be Brandon Banks? In my books, it sure would be, and he would probably be in the top of the list in terms of all the players in the CFL. He is that uh, talented of an individual. He's had a phenomenal season. He's had a few good years now at, at the receiver position. Yeah, he's the guy that got the touchdown that was called back in the Grey Cup the last time we were there. That, we was, that, was, that, his, that was his run. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully, well, we'll see what happens about that. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see this. The other element to this, too, if you just going by stats, and I guess some people that vote on these things do, sure. uh, Speedy, he missed two games because of injury this year, yeah. and he did not play the last game. Exactly. So, he, so his stats are after only 15 games. Yeah, and I mean, you look at his total impact. So we're not just talking about him as a receiver, and you brought this up. He's played, uh, you know, a bit of the, the running back position in their Wildcat, or when he's lined up in the backfield with, uh, you know, Evans and, and Braylon Addison in some formations. So he scored rushing touchdowns. He has the missed field goal return for touchdown. He has a kickoff return for touchdown. He has 16 total touchdowns this year. As a quarterback, Cody Fajardo has 18 passing touchdowns. So as a receiver, yes, you're reliant on the quarterback to get you the ball, but still, then you have to do something with it. So 16 times... He did something with it, and uh, I think that's got to be recognized. I want to talk about, uh, we did Simone a little bit, and, and I like to think he's going to go all the way this year just because he's such a great guy and such a, an inc- intense performer. But the other two nominees I want to talk about are the, uh, the, uh, the O-linemen, who mm-hmm. never get any recognition at all. Yeah. But these guys are not just two of the best in the East, they're two of the best in the league. Yeah, when you're talking about Chris Van Zyl, obviously first year as a Hamilton Tiger Cat. You'd never know it to Argos. watch him play. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't missed a beat, and he has been phenomenal at that right tackle position, and uh, he's up for most outstanding linemen. And he's, I think this is another toss-up between him and Winnipeg Stanley Bryant, because Stanley's a really good uh, uh, football player too. But Van Zyl has come in, has learned the terminology in the system, and uh, you know they've had how many different running backs in the backfield that they've had to block for? Two different quarterbacks this season. This offensive line, top to bottom, has been probably the best in the Canadian Football League in terms of uh, you know producing a winning you know attitude and, and a great formula to, to run or pass the football. So Van Zyl, you know, up for offensive lineman, uh, you know, might be the pick amongst uh, amongst the voters. The other uh, person you're referring to is Brendan Renverberg, who's not in line for most outstanding Canadian in terms of the CFL awards, but was an East Division uh, uh, most outstanding Canadian player and, and offensive. 
offensive lineman, and he's another exceptional talent who's you know still in his early to mid twenties, who's going to continue to grow and get better. And uh, uh, you know, the sky's the limit for him. He's a phenomenal player and a great person too. Well, I mean, he, his story is, I guess, a unique one, but it's the kind of success story you want to see. Yeah, the kid gets drafted pretty high, uh, and uh, basically in his second year, beat a veteran out of a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and sometimes those happen, and sometimes uh, you know you draft an offensive lineman, he kind of sits there for a number of seasons as a backup, or maybe he comes in on a tight end formation and he just, you know, on a goal line stand or whatever the case is. Um, but some guys, like Revenberg, you know, you pick him and he's inserted the lineup. Peter Dykeski would be another great example of, you know, you draft the guy, you wait maybe a season for him to kind of, you know, scour the NFL ranks or see if he's done at the NCAA, and then he hops into the lineup and away you go. you got a, you know, 10 to 12-year veteran. I'm glad you brought up the running game, too, because that's something that I know in the fifth quarter the fans are always, or always have been in the past yeah. number of years and yeah. say, well, we, you know, we need to running run the ball more. We do. We run. <laughs> we've got an outstanding running game, and, and like you say, we're there's how many how many guys have played the running back position on this team this year? It's phenomenal. Seven, you eight, know, maybe. Sean Thomas, Erlington, uh, Malik Irons, Cameron Marshall, um, uh, Tyrell Sutton. Um, I'm, I know well, Marshall one. too. Marshall Jackson Bennett. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Coombs. So I'm up to what seven? Like this is uh, unbelievable. And, and, and they've all at one time or another had very good games. Yeah, each one, and that's a testament to the O line, and that's yeah, the blocking that's what scheme. I mean. Yeah, they're talented too. Obviously, we'll carry them, uh, you know, through some blocks here and there. But the offensive line has been stout. But there have been a game. couple. I remember was it Marshall got one touchdown. I think they ran about the seven or eight yard line. I mean, you could have driven a truck through the hole that yeah. was in the line. Yeah, yeah, and again, uh, obviously you have he to walked have the in sch- untouched. Yeah, you have to have the scheme to get you into yeah. that position. But the blocking has to be there too. But just outstanding, and I mean, especially you know when your number one quarterback goes down. I'm sure the message that uh, that Coach Steinauer talked about and talked. Tommy Condell talked about is this guy is not going to get injured, yeah, okay? Yeah. Uh, you double down on what you need to do, and they, they, they've been great at protecting him. They've been phenomenal, and each guy that has come in, and all the guys that have mentioned, have been uh, you know good to above average blockers in terms of keeping Dane Evans healthy, so, and and another key point to that is, you know, yeah, they got to run the ball more, and we've seen them, uh, you know, Im- employ a balanced attack in terms of run versus pass, but you have to be effective in running the ball. So, yeah, you can run the ball 25 times a game, but if you're averaging three yards a carry, it's not very effective in the three-down game. So when they have run the ball, they have been good. Uh, the other nominee, uh, to me, it's no surprise at all. It's, that's Coach O, of course, as Coach of the Year. Yeah, uh, yeah it's... Um, <laughs> You know, there have been, I think, 11 seasons in which a team has won 15 or more games. The record's 16. Um, in, in all 11 seasons, that team has not gone on to win the Grey Cup. More often than not, that's happened. But the coach of the year has more often than not come from that category. So I don't see anything different this year. Craig Dickinson has had a phenomenal year in Saskatchewan. He, too, is a rookie head coach. He, too, is a backup quarterback as a starter. They've had some injuries there, too. But at the end of the day, when you know you lose your starting quarterback midway through the season as opposed to play number two, you have to make some adjustments. When you have seven different running backs, you have to make some adjustments. When you have, you know, a quarterback or cornerback who was injured in Delvin Bro for, you know, almost half the season, you have to make those adjustments. And every button that Orlando Steinauer has pushed this season has seemed to work. So you have to give, uh, you know, him ultimate kudos and tip your cap to him. Well, and I suggest that the success started actually before these guys ever got out of the field at training camp uh, because look at the coaching staff he assembled. Yeah. I mean, and because and he, well, he didn't start from ground zero because there are a couple of guys from last year that came right. back. And they're great coaches, too. 
Uh, but bringing Mark Washington in as a defensive coordinator, who I now hear is being rumored to be a head coaching job. But I'm not surprised. Let's, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I, get, yeah. I don't think he's going to talk to anybody until after that, but there are some vacancies, obviously. And uh, he he's going to be – this is Coach O all over again, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. going to be right at the top of the list. It's like every time there's a vacancy before that. Well, yeah. Orlando's got to be a head coach someday. Exactly. Yeah, how'd that work? Pretty well. Uh, as long, I'm, glad, I'm glad it was here, but uh, we'll see about Washington. But these guys came out of the gate, and, and that surprised a lot of us. Mm-hmm. You know, even when they were three and zero and four and zero, we said, "Yeah, well, this team back then was that." And then they lost six in a row. Yeah. These, they, these guys just never took the foot off the gas pedal. They've won six in a row coming into the playoffs. So they're playing some of their best football going into the most important part of the year. Um, they haven't had any losing streak whatsoever. They're the only team in this league that has not lost two games in a row. Uh, and that says a lot because after a loss, uh, you know, your n- main focus is to focus on the next opponent. And some teams are great at doing that. And some teams will kind of, you know, think about what was and what could have been in the last game and they don't show up for the next game. But Coach O, each and every week, has had this team prepared to win this game. The, the, the three losses they have, they, they were all by less than a touchdown. Yeah, uh, the Montreal uh, the Montreal game was, I think, a bit more, wasn't it, 36-28? So, I mean, yeah, within within a convert, yeah. you know, two-point converted touchdown, but, the, you know, one point against Calgary, I think it was five points against Saskatchewan. Well, yeah, blocked field goal. Yeah, they've been in every game. They could, you know, there was somebody that brought it up on the fifth quarter last time around, and I kind of chuckled. They, you know, they could have been 18-0. and um, Yeah, I mean, any team could be 18-0, and but uh, obviously you need some luck along the way to, to get there. No team has ever done that, but they were pretty darn close. You know, a blocked... Uh, uh, field goal from uh, Trey Robert, uh, Roberson in, in Calgary, a last-minute touchdown by Saskatchewan in Regina, and uh, kind of a, a whole hum effort in Montreal. I mean, those are the three losses for the Ticats this season. But, uh, yeah, uh, otherwise, they have played phenomenally well all season long. Okay, so now this is a bye week for them since they finished in first place. They do play 1 o'clock next Sunday, of course, in the Eastern Final. Who mm-hmm. are they going to play? Good question. You know, Edmonton's in Montreal, two uh, very different teams. You know, Edmonton has been really up and down this year, but they're getting um, C.J. Gable back at the running back position. He'll be hungry to be successful. Trevor Harris is back in at quarterback. Although I hear he's injured, and that's, yeah. his, that's his throwing arm. That's his throwing arm. and I, I mean, it's yeah, all hands on deck during the playoffs. Yeah, there's no way he's 100%, but I think he's better than Logan Kilgore at this point. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, um, but, you know, Montreal's at home. Uh, I think they're 5-0. and against crossover teams. Uh, now, again, that's in the past. Uh, that really doesn't matter. It's just an interesting stat. But I think Montreal, with their mojo and confidence, will probably pull through. However, I wouldn't be surprised if the Eskimos won that game because they just seem to have something to prove. And, again, I wouldn't be surprised if Edmonton went in there and upset the Alouettes. By the way, Kahara uh, Jones was another great success story, too. Yeah, right? Guy that kind of said, hey, clean this mess up, and he did. And he did. He had a phenomenal season. I'd, I'd love to see Ticats Alouettes, a true East final, but I think Ticats Edmonton would be fun, too. Well, we'll see what happens. Anyway, first game this, and then, of course, next Sunday back yeah. here. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much, You Rick. got it. Anytime. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.